Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for who you are. Uh, We're grateful to be here together in your presence today. We're grateful for who you represent in our in our world, uh, the Creator who loves us, who is uh, is righteous and in righteous relationship within yourself all the time. We thank you that you are the faithful one who is never changing that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you that you have abounding loving kindness, uh, grace toward us, and um, that you're a God who comes running to us in our moments of need and fills us with good things, fills our world and our lives with good things. Um, We thank you for what you've accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, that you have invited us into a covenant relationship with you where you are no longer counting our sins against us and welcoming us into your own divine life and fellowship. And we pray that today would be a day where each of us would take a step uh, further into the depth of that fellowship, that today would be a day that each of us would live more fully in the wholeness of who you have created us to be, and that we would continue to be transformed by your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, So we... Have been doing a series we've called Renewal Origins, looking at the things that God has spoken to us when we planted this church a little over ten years ago. Uh, we're we're people who believe in a God who brought the entirety of the world that we see into existence through His spoken word, through speaking, uh, through the Word of God. Everything that we see exists through the Word of God. A host of things that we don't see, uh, angels and demons and powers and principalities and and divine beings who inhabit an unseen realm were all created through God's word and uh, and through his word each of us uh, find ourselves our place in this world uh, his call on our own lives our identity it is all found by uh, God speaking and revealing himself um, and along with that we felt like God spoke some very specific things to us ten year, a little over 10 years ago when we, um, when we planted this church. And so uh, we have three scriptures that we've been talking about. One is from Isaiah 43, and it's where God says to the people of Israel to forget the formal things, former things, uh, to, uh, to not dwell in the past, but to perceive the new thing that God is doing. It's springing up. Have you, can you recognize what he's doing um, that today he's doing a new thing and that this one who does a new thing is the one who provides streams in the wasteland and roads in the wilderness. And, and we felt like God was speaking to us through that verse about this new thing he was wanting to do and planting a new congregation in our community. Uh, the other verse is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where uh, the Apostle Paul writes that if, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Uh, speaking about the transformation in humanity that happens because of who Jesus Christ is and because of, of who he represents as the new humanity. and uh, talks about how the old things have passed away and the new is here. And believing that God is every day 
bringing his creation from the old into the new. And that our God is a God who is about restoring uh, things to be how they were intended to be. Yeah, if you could get that hooked up to the Wi-Fi, good luck. Um, that'd be great. And, uh, and this is who our God is. And the third verse is from uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 4, where he, um, he writes to them to do everything without grumbling or complaining. And, and that in that, in the wholeness of relationship, as we live with one another as God designed us to live, that in that we would shine forth like the stars in the skies. We would be holy and pure and a, and a wicked and depraved generation. And, and we believe that God has called us to, to be different than the old, that the new that God is recreating, the new creation he's making is, is something totally new and different. And so those were the three verses that we felt like God spoke to us, speaking us into existence as a community of faith. And then we have three uh, guiding principles that we felt like God inspired us with as well. Uh, the first one is that Jesus is for everyone. Uh, we began Renewal City Church with a conviction that every single person in our community needs Jesus. And that what every single person in our community needs is Jesus. That uh, the challenge, Jesus is the answer to the challenges that we face, that he's, he is the one, uh, a relationship with Jesus is the thing that, that fixes and, and repairs us. Uh, we believe that Jesus uses everyone, that God has created humanity in his image and that every human being has a, a divine purpose from God for their life and, and a will from God for who he's made them to be. And the third one of those guiding principles was that, did we, did we win? Oh, okay, great, thanks. Well done, team, tech team. Let's get a round of applause, yeah. And, uh, and then usually here, you know, it just, oh, sweet, yeah, it's right there. Let's see how we're doing. Well, we finished page one. We finished page two. All right. The last one is that Jesus changes everything. This is probably the, the wildest claim we make or the, the principle that is the heaviest of the three. And today I just want to talk a little bit about what that means to us, that we would say Jesus changes everything. Part of what this means is that everything that we think we know about God, everything that we think we know about life and about humanity, it, it's meant to be impacted and filtered through the historical Jesus, who Jesus is, Jesus of Nazareth. We believe that the scriptures teach us that in Jesus Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That the God of the scriptures is a very Jesus-looking God, if you will. And that we are meant to understand the God of the Bible through the person, Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus is the final word about who God is. That God spoke in various different ways as the, as the author of the letter to the Hebrews begins his introduction saying, God has spoken in the past in this way and that way, through the law, through angels. But now he has spoken essentially a final word or a full word through his son. Jesus becomes the paradigm through which we understand God. And Jesus becomes a paradigm through which we understand humanity. The, the, the gospel is that Jesus is the word of God through whom everything has been made. 
and that the word put on flesh and dwelt among us. As Christians, we believe that the creator of everything took on flesh and lived in human form. We believe that the creator of everything didn't see his divinity or his position in heaven as something to be grasped or held on to, but that he humbled himself, he emptied himself of all that and became born as a man. We believe that Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider his equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage or, or again, held on to, but that he made himself nothing. And by taking on the nature of a servant and by taking on a human likeness and, and in being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even unto death on a cross. And that exercise of humility and suffering and obedience and binding himself to humanity in the rock bottom of our fall was the pathway through which after death he was raised to life by God's spirit. After three days in the tomb, he walked out as a sign and, and a wonder to all of us, but as a sign that sin and death have been conquered forever. That humanity's destiny isn't one that ends in the grave. As Christians, we believe that after descending to the depths of the earth, the rock bottom of human fallenness, that Jesus has now ascended to heaven to dwell in the fellowship of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Probably one of the most astounding claims of the Christian faith is that there is a human being, there is a man dwelling in the fellowship of God, that the Father and the Spirit have welcomed humanity into this place of fellowship through the Son. And that Jesus is there forever making intercession on our behalf. That the man Jesus Christ is seated in heavenly places with God and he says to, to humanity, your place is here with me. Your destiny is here in this fellowship with me. We believe that Jesus through his life, through his ministry, through his sacrifice, through his death and his resurrection, that he redefined for us what it means to be human. He doesn't just teach us who God is, but he teaches us who we are. And he goes before us as this prototype of what humanity is meant to be. And he invites every one of us to come and follow him and to be remade by his presence, be remade by this relationship as we follow him and walk with him, to be remade by that. Jesus changes everything. I remember this day. It was in 2008 or 2009. I'm working as a youth pastor at uh, Shekinah Christian Center. I'd been a youth pastor for a year, maybe two at that point. And I'm sitting in my office there. I'd inherited a very cluttered youth pastor office uh, that was still full of the clutter and, and stuff even after I moved out because because um, I'm never someone who pays a lot of attention to the space that I'm in and does a lot of work to make it a certain way. I just, I sit in whatever mess is there and, and I endure it. And then, uh, so all that to say, I don't do any of my own decorating. Um, but I'm sitting there and um, 
and I'm spending time in my office. I'd worked at a couple of churches before planting renewal and I spent way too much time in my office. So I've never had an office at renewal because I just, I thought it doesn't feel like the way God made me to minister was sitting in an office. So, um, you know, if you give me an office and I'm supposed to sit in it, I will sit in it. But, uh, we solved that by not giving me an office. So, uh, nowhere to sit, but you know, the son of man had nowhere to rest his head either. So I'm just following the master. Um, anyhow, there's a knock at the door and one of our elders from the church comes walking in. His name was Greg Smith. Uh, he's a, a great man, a super intelligent man. And he's got this giant box of books, old books, theology books, lexicons, you know, all of these spirituality books, Christian books. And he says something about, you know, he's had all these old books forever and, and uh, they're cleaning stuff out. And would I like this box of books? And um, and I I was a young minister at the time. I, I didn't really have a lot of money to buy books, and I have a hard time saying no to things that are free. And so I said, "Well, yes, I would. I will happily take this box of books." Uh, we have rules now about me receiving things that people offer me for free. We've had to make some boundaries because uh, of the clutter, but. Uh, this was before we had settled into such healthy patterns in uh, the Dieter household. So I say yes to the box of books, and uh, and he's he's starting to walk out, much relieved that he's unloaded this thing that probably his wife sent him down there with, like, see if James will take these. Um, and uh, and I remember I said it almost like as a half a joke on how how big this pile of book is. Like, do you have any recommendations about you know which ones I should keep? Kind of a thing. And he turns back around and he goes to the box of books and he pulls this green book off the top of it. And, uh, and I, I'm not sure why I'm getting emotional about this, but uh, he pulls it out and he says, this is the one that I would keep out of all these books. And it was a book called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'd never heard of the guy at the time. Um, but uh uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian from the really the early to mid um, 20th century. He was a German uh, and uh, ended up dying in a Nazi concentration camp. Uh, he was actually a part of some assassination plots against Hitler, which if you've read his writings feels really strange because he was a very committed to the nonviolent teachings of Jesus Christ, but he was also in on assassination plots for Hitler. So um, for everything under heaven, there is a time and a place, right? Um, anyhow, um, I'd never even heard of him before this point, which would tell you how serious of a theologian or scholar I was, but, um, but I ended up reading this book and, um, and it's a book that changed my relationship with Jesus. And, and I would say it's never been the same. Um, and what a beautiful thing that our faith is where, God works through the community of faith, even over the course of history, through the books and the writings and the different ways that God has spoken to people in the past. He uses all of that to impact us in, in deep and profound ways. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, one of the things that Dietrich writes, he says, as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with God. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. 
It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ. The death of the old man at his call. I was young when I first read these lines, and, and young people think of death often as the end of something. They think of death that happens at the end of something. And so often, so much of, of what we do in the Christian life is even based on this idea that at the end, we're going to die, and we want to make sure that death works out really well for us, and we end up living the next life in a much better state. But the teaching in Scripture that Dietrich Bonhoeffer brings out so well in this book and that was transformational for me was this idea that the Christian life begins with death. When he's talking about death, he's not necessarily talking about physical death or martyrdom, but he's talking about this idea that is throughout Jesus' teachings that to follow him, the first step in following him is to die to oneself, to surrender to oneself. Jesus changes everything. And Jesus says that death is the beginning to truly living. Think of the implications of this statement. Someone cannot truly live in the wholeness of who God has created them to be unless they truly die. To the old self. Jesus said to the crowds in Luke chapter 9. If anyone wants to be my disciple. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. And follow me. We cannot follow Jesus. Without taking the path. That he took. We cannot know the fellowship. Of Christ's resurrection. And the life eternal. That God invites us into without knowing the fellowship of his suffering and the sacrifice. To follow Jesus is to follow his example, where every right, every resource, every privilege, everything that you think you're entitled to or owed is not something to be held on to or grasped or used for your advantage but rather you're invited to empty yourself, to surrender yourself, to come to the end of yourself and let go. Believing that that same power that raised Christ from the grave might also be at work in your life. That same power that is redeeming the old creation and ushering us into a new creation will be at work in your life. You've heard the saying, you can't take it with you, right? Can't take it with you when you go. I feel like there was a country song about that that I grew up listening to on the radio, but I can't quite place the tune right now. Somebody sing it for me. Anyone got it? No? You know, we believe that, that in the, in, in an, if, if you believe in an afterlife, you believe that it is different than the one that we live here today. That when we die, there's some sort of transformation and the things that we have the objects we obtain the things that we the things the material things that we have they don't follow us on the journey 
The things that we have don't follow us on the journey because they're not fit for the next life. So you know that your car or your library of books or, you know, your TV, none of that stuff goes with you. You won't take it with you. Because it's no good where you're headed. If you believe in the in the biblical description of the afterlife, you have a conviction in you as well that like life in fellowship with God, whatever it is that we are headed into in this beautiful forevermore with God, it, it's wonderfully beyond what it, what we could ever imagine or, or think of. And so we're not really that worried about leaving some of these things behind. But when you think about your old life, and the things that you want to bring into the new life with God. This can be a difficult part of Jesus' invitation, this whole idea of dying to self. The religious leaders of Jesus' day struggled with this a lot. Their problem was that they wanted to bring everything from their old life with them because they were convinced that these things from the old life had some kind of value in the new creation. They clung to their religious traditions. They clung to their good deeds. Their commitment to follow the law of Moses. They clung to their position in society. Their wealth and the influence that these positions brought them. How it made them feel about themselves. They clung to their self-righteousness and their pride. And they put a lot of pressure on others to do the same. They were trying to bring the old life through the cross. And trying to bring the old life through the cross is like, it's like trying to bring a PlayStation through the grave. It doesn't work. It won't do you any good in the new creation. And I think so much of our walk with the Lord and so much of our being prepared in this life for what God has in the future is about letting go of those things that will do us no good in the new creation. It doesn't matter how valuable you think the objects of the old life are. It doesn't matter how good you think these things were or how well you think they served you. They're not a part of the new creation. The old has passed away. God is making all things new. Jesus changes everything. And he's remaking us as this first wave of the new creation. Scripture, we believe that these things that God is accomplishing in humanity, so much of it is already happening, and yet there's so much of it that is not yet the reality that we get to walk in. But God has called his church to be instruments of the new creation, outposts of the new creation, light in dark places, shining like the stars. This is who he's called us to be. And so every day, dying to ourselves, and, and, in, and in every way, becoming more Christ-like. As we walk with Him, and as we behold His face, and as we pursue fellowship with Jesus, who's pursuing fellowship with us. We believe that pursuing this relationship is the most important thing that any human being can ever do on an individual level and on a corporate level. And encouraging one another to pursue this transforming relationship is the most important, most crucial thing that we can do with one another.
We believe that this relationship is sustained, not by our effort in pursuing it. It's not sustained by our willfulness or our, our determination to follow Jesus, but it's, it's sustained by His grace meeting us in those places of humble surrender and letting go. Jesus said to some who were confident of their own righteousness and who looked down on everyone else, he gave him this story. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. We see a Pharisee praying who's trying to bring his old life into the new creation. He's got some things he's really proud about, things that he feels like he's doing well, things that he's not doing that he feels like he's doing really well. I'm not robbing anyone. I'm not doing evil. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not a tax collector. I am. I am fasting twice a week. I am giving a tenth of all that I get. These are somewhat impressive credentials. It sounds a lot like things that would be useful in the new creation. Jesus continues the story. He says, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then Jesus says, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. thinking about that posture of the tax collector coming before the Lord and having nothing to say, but God have mercy on me. You imagine what, uh, what it looks like if that is the relational posture with which you approach God every day of your life. And I think that's part of what he means when he says to die to self. There's a book that I've been reading with a couple of guys, and um, there's a line that says something to the effect of, the Christian life is, is it's all about becoming increasingly aware of God's presence and less and less aware of yourself. And the inverse of that is becoming increasingly aware of yourself at the expense of being aware of who God is. Somewhere in the, I don't know, 5th or 6th century of the church, the, the, the church created uh, a prayer in Latin that was just three simple lines. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. And it became a part of the liturgical worship that they would come into where the church would gather every week. And whenever this would pop up in the liturgy, this is what the church would pray together. 
Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. Where we, we come to him and, and, and those who would come with any part of their value as a person, any part of their, their value in themselves, any part of, of how they see themselves or others that is not filtered through Christ and his sacrifice is, is unfit for the new creation. The beauty of this is that when I come to God saying, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. When that's my posture with him, not an ounce of self-righteousness, that he meets us and infuses us with the infinite worth of who we are, who he's called us to be. I've said in a couple of conversations recently, God's love for us is based on who he is. As our father. It's not based on who we are. God's commitment to us is based on who he is. As our creator. And as a loving father. It's not based on how we've performed or what we've done. Or or how well we've met the markers. The invitation to die to self. Is an invitation to die to sin. In any part of our identity or our value or, or our worth as a person, any part of our justification that's found in anything but the fact that God loved us enough to die for us is sin. The thing that God is trying to invite humanity into is a trusting relationship with himself where we come to him in the fullness of who we are no no hiddenness, no secrets, no excuses. And we trust that he loves us, that he forgives us, that he has a plan for our lives, that he can redeem every evil thing that's happened, those things that we have done, those things that have been done to us, and those things that we have no idea why the world is this way, that he can redeem it all for his goodness. And every day, the Christian life starts with taking up your cross and saying, yes, I'm ready to lay down everything for the beauty of this relationship that God is inviting me into. I'm somewhat of an achiever. I like to accomplish things. I like to get straight A's. I like to be successful in building things. I like to, you know, I like to get good grades. I like to achieve. I'm an achiever. I like to do things well. I've been walking through a season in my life over the last couple of years where I feel like God allows me to be okay with the fact that I don't do everything well. And that his love for me is not defined by what I'm doing for him or what I'm accomplishing, but his love for me is of, of unshakable stuff. And when I find myself in places where I feel like I'm at the end of my rope or I've done the best I can do and the results aren't what I had hoped for, there's this beautiful relational space that Jesus continues to invite me into where it's okay. 
I'm still just as loved as I've ever been. I'm still just as... I, I could never be more loved than I already am. And the invitation is unshaken by my failures or the failures of the lives in the lives of the people around me. And the invitation remains the same. If you want to encounter God and be transformed by his goodness, to, be, to walk away justified, you have to come in the same, the same door every time. Not bringing an ounce of your own self-righteousness. Not bringing an ounce of your guilt or shame that would cause you to stay away. Thank God the tax collector still came into and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Trusting that God is the one who chooses to have mercy. God is the one whose loving kindness lasts for a thousand generations. Part of the invitation to, to uh, walk together is to understand what it is that we're trying to do together on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday Bible study or a Thursday breakfast or a whatever it might be. And I think the first thing that we're inviting each other to come, in, to come into is we are a community of people who are committed to taking up our cross daily. Laying down ourselves. And there's something that is really healthy about being a community that comes and does that together. There's something empowering when I'm connecting with another believer in such a way and seeing them living that out and experiencing it. There's something inspiring that makes it even easier for me the next time. And when I'm trying to walk through into the new creation, imagine like a TSA screening point, and they're like, you're holding on to all this stuff that's not fit for the new creation. It's really helpful when I see someone next to me laying that thing down, throwing it in the garbage bin. It's my favorite water bottle. I don't want to throw it away. But letting go of it, that's where the power is at. And so at Renewal, we are, we are forever. I am forever walking in on Sunday, beating my chest saying, I am not worthy. God have mercy on me. And I want to know that every seat is filled with someone who's coming in a similar position. That's the beginning point. And then let's see where God can take us from there. Because we are following a Jesus who changes everything. This morning, as we're gathered together, I know that some of us feel very much that we're at the end of our rope. I know that some of us are coming in with our hands holding fast to things that are not a part of the new creation. Maybe there are secret sins or habits or attitudes towards others. Maybe there are obvious sins or habits or attitudes towards others. So before we come to the Lord's table, I want to just take a moment to examine ourselves before him. Holy Spirit, you're the one who searches our hearts. You're the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. We just invite you to speak to your people today.
Search within us. See if there be any wicked way within us now. Show us those things that we are trying to carry into the new creation that are unfit for the new creation, that do us no good there. Give us the grace to let go.